everyone, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of The VectorCast, a podcast about classic arcade vector games. I'm your host, Michael Zenner, coming to you from lovely Portland, Oregon. Season 1 has been and still is the season of Atari, and we are in general covering the games in the order in which they were produced, so today we will be talking about Asteroids Deluxe. Now, there is going to be some question about exactly where in the history of Atari Vector Games Asteroids Deluxe was actually developed. It was actually released a little bit later. It was actually the fifth game released by Atari, but we are mostly interested in the history of development of the games. And as such, since Asteroids Deluxe is the third and final game to use what I would consider to be the first generation of uh, vector generation hardware produced by Atari, which specifically is the digital vector generator developed by Howard Delman, uh, this is the third and final game to use that, uh, that particular generation of technology. The first one, of course, being Lunar Lander, the second one being Asteroids, and the third one, Asteroids Deluxe. So I thought it would be a good idea to change up the order just a little bit, make it a little more of a logical order, and include the third and final game to use the digital vector generator as our third episode of the VectorCast. Also, I do need to make a small correction at the end of our last episode where we talked about Asteroids. I teased this episode by referring to Asteroids Deluxe as a 1979 release, and I apologize for that. There is no version of reality in which 1979 was the correct thing to say right there. Uh, as I mentioned, Asteroids Deluxe uh, was developed sometime in 1980. It does have a 1980 copyright notice on it, and it was released in March of 1981. So I apologize for uh, misleading anyone by accusing Asteroids Deluxe of being released in 1979. Okay, with that out of the way, Asteroids Deluxe, of course, was the follow-up to 1979's Asteroids, which we covered in the last episode of the VectorCast, and which is arguably the best-known and loved vector game ever produced of all time. At the time Atari was producing black-and-white vector games, there was a rule in place at the company that stated, never make the same game twice. So, what do you do when you've got that kind of rule, but you've also just produced the most successful game ever released? a game that broke every single sales record that anyone had ever thought of. Well, I think, and apparently Atari thought, you make an exception, and you make a sequel. Asteroids Deluxe, like its predecessor, is a one or two player multi-directional shooter in which the player controls a small spaceship navigating an asteroid field and threatened by hostile flying saucers and now killer satellites. More on that later. Dave Shepard was the engineer at Atari who was given the job of updating Asteroids. No pressure or anything, we just need you to take an instant classic and tweak it a bit so it's even better. Okay. Like the original, Asteroids Deluxe came in three different cabinets. An upright, which is by far the most commonly encountered version, and also a cabaret and a cocktail cabinet. The upright cabinet is a significant design departure from the two previous Atari vector games. As you walk up to the cabinet, the first thing that jumps out is the shape and the cut. The lower section is a basic box shape like the bottom of any arcade cabinet, but the top half, starting at the control panel where it protrudes forward and extending upward to the lighted marquee, it's uh, basically an enclosed box shape with an open front to it. And the effect is that the front of the cabinet is kind of like a cave and the game happens inside. The side art is, of course, gorgeous like most Atari side art. The background of the side art is primarily white, and it depicts a spaceship at the bottom of the cab, and this time the ship does actually look a lot like a stylized version of the familiar wedge-shaped asteroid ship, rather than the ship on the artwork of the original Asteroids, which looks suspiciously similar to a Cylon Raider from the old Battlestar Galactica show. 
The ship is flying over a dense layer of asteroids and is also firing at another rock off in the distance. The spacescape is a light blue that gradually breaks into the background white, and there is a purple smoke trail and a couple of yellow, white, and green explosions, then a few planets, some green spaceships, and an eclipsed sun in the background. The overall effect is much less late 1970s than the previous two games and is now starting to really look and feel like the early 1980s. The marquee is very similar to the side art, but arranged for the size and shape of a marquee. The game's title is drawn out in large, thick 3D lettering, which is red at the top, gradually fading to orange at the bottom. Atari here made what I think is a very interesting style choice in that all of the text in the title is in uppercase except for the first E in Deluxe. The way it's spelled, it kind of makes me think of a character from a Victor Hugo novel or something. Someday I'm going to write about a character named Astrid Deluxe. You heard it here. The bezel is transparent plexiglass with black borders. The artwork is mostly silver with orange highlights. Along the bottom border are pictures of the various game elements along with the game instructions and score values. At one point early in the production run, Atari started getting feedback about the bezel. And it turns out that in some lighting situations, the bezel gave off quite a bit of glare and made the game very difficult to see. Atari's solution was to release an anti-glare kit, which involved a few little wood blocks and things, and the result was that it tilted the top of the bezel forward to reduce the glare. Not every game has the kit installed, so it does appear that the glare issue was not a problem in every case. The control layout is the same as Asteroids, two volcano buttons for player one and two start, and the familiar five-button Asteroid-style layout. The control panel is the traditional Atari bent steel, but it's a little bit smaller than the Asteroids panel, which is really quite a bit of real estate. The design of the Asteroids Deluxe panel is largely blues and oranges with white buttons, and like the side art, really shows the transition from a late 1970s design aesthetic to an early 1980s one. The really spectacular feature that draws your attention into the Asteroids Deluxe cabinet, though, is the display. Yeah, it's a black and white vector display, but that doesn't begin to tell the story. The monitor in the upright cab will be either a Wells Gardner 19V2000 or an Electrohome Geo 5-802. These are the standard black and white Atari monitors, and there is an earlier episode of the VectorCast where we discuss the differences, or lack thereof, among those monitors. Whichever monitor is in the game, it's mounted inside the cab such that the screen is pointed vertically, straight up. It also has a blue gel overlay, so the vectors are all displayed in blue. Above the monitor is a half-silvered mirror onto which the game graphics are projected from below and then reflected toward the player. The effect is that the game images appear to be floating in space well above the background. Yeah, the background is where it gets really good. The background is a scene of the spaceship from the side art hurtling toward an asteroid field made up of green and blue rocks with a couple flying saucers on the other side of the field. And if this weren't enough, the image is lit by a black light, which of course really makes the artwork pop. The overall effect is a very strong sense of depth, even though nothing in the game's graphic is really 3D in any way. So you've got a black lit asteroid field background with blue game imagery seeming to hover above it. This is a really nice display. Unfortunately, the cabaret and cocktail versions do not get the same treatment. The cabaret cabinet is similar to the asteroids cabinet, but it has a less severe angle at the back and has a flat section at the top of the profile. It's still just a hair over four and a half feet tall. It's still 20 inches wide and 24 inches deep. 
It uses a 15 inch black and white vector monitor with a blue gel overlay, but it does not have the elaborate and gorgeous background and it also does not use the mirror the way the upright does. The cabaret control panel is basically a scaled down version of the upright. It's got the same color design and the same button layout. Like all of Atari's cabaret games, the sides are covered in wood grain vinyl. Atari actually offered side art decals as an option and they aren't full coverage. They just go from the bottom of the cab almost to the top and they leave, a, they leave several inches of the wood grain exposed around the top and around the sides. The side art doesn't appear to have been a terribly popular option among cabaret owners. I've seen a few games that have had the art on them, but it's been something that was done by the current owner. Reproduction art is available, and there's certainly some new old stock art around, but I've never seen old-looking art on a cabaret, just the wood grain. The cocktail cabinet is almost identical to the original Asteroids cocktail, with pretty much just a change in labeling. The control panels are black with some very basic gold graphics on them. And just like the Asteroids cocktail, it tapers from top to bottom and has two large legs on the left and right sides, which meet with a single long foot on either side. A classic cocktail cabinet design. Regardless of the cabinet, in each case, the play screen is very similar to the original Asteroids. At the top left corner of the screen is player one score, as well as a row of ship icons representing the number of lives that the player has in reserve. Player two score and reserve ships are similarly located on the top right hand corner. In the top center of the screen is the current high score, as well as the three initials of the current high score holder. Immediately below the high score is a note reminding the player the score at which they will receive their next bonus life. At the bottom center of the screen is the famous 1980 copyright notice. A few of the game graphics are immediately obvious as being different from Asteroids. One is that the ship has evolved. The simple wedge-shaped ship from Asteroids has grown a small pair of wings, and also the rocks, in addition to moving across the display in a straight line at various angles, which they did in the original Asteroids, now they also rotate. Prepare for battle. Anyone who has played Asteroids will be able to get started with Asteroids Deluxe with basically no help or instructions. The ship appears in the center of the screen, this time with a materialization sound. The thump thump heartbeat sound is still there, and a number of large, slowly spinning asteroids will appear from the edges of the screen. The player gets to then use the left and right rotate buttons as well as the thrust and fire buttons to fly around the screen and shoot things. The ship has momentum, so it takes a bit of time on the thrust button to get the ship to start moving and accelerate, and once the thrust has been cut off, it takes a while for the ship to slow and eventually stop. Of course, the player can also spin the ship around and use the thrust as a brake. The ship, as I mentioned, is also armed and can shoot enemies on the screen. The large asteroids, when hit, will break into two medium asteroids that then move apart at a speed and angle that are related to but not the same as the path and speed of the large asteroid they just came from. Each of the medium asteroids, in turn, when hit, breaks into two small asteroids which, once again, move apart at a speed and angle that are related to but not identical to the path and speed of the medium asteroid that they just came from. A small asteroid, when hit, just disappears. Also like the original Asteroids game, in Asteroids Deluxe, when a player or an asteroid reaches the edge of the screen, it will wrap around and appear at the opposite edge from which it disappeared. This goes for the vertical as well as the horizontal axis. Just as in the original, anytime the ship makes contact with an asteroid, it is destroyed. The game allows operators to set the number of ships between 2 and 5 per credit, and 3 is the standard. The flying saucers from the original Asteroids are back as well the large one and the small one. From time to time, one will appear at one side of the screen and make its way across, firing shots at the player's ship. 
that's all basically identical to the original asteroid. So here's where it changes a bit. The fifth button, which previously had been hyperspace, is now a shield button. When the player presses and holds the shield button, a ring appears around the ship, rendering it invulnerable. When the ring first appears, it's very bright, but as the player continues to hold the button down, it gets dimmer, indicating that the life of the shield is depleting. Each time the player uses the shield, it comes on at the same brightness it had been when the previous use was finished. Essentially, this means there's only a certain amount of shield that the player has available. There is unfortunately no way to replenish the shield during the life of an individual ship, but each new ship brings with it a full supply of shield. Also, the ship accelerates more quickly than an asteroid's, but the maximum speed is the same. Toward the end of the first screen of asteroids, a new enemy will appear. Exactly when it shows up depends on the ROM version and the difficulty that the operator has set. It's called the Death Star, as well as a killer satellite in the manual and in Atari's promotional videos. It is a hexagonal shape, roughly the same size as a large asteroid, and it announces its arrival with another special sound. When hit, it splits into three diamond shapes, each of which makes sort of a cloverleaf maneuver and then homes in on the player's ship. The diamonds, in turn, split into two wedge shapes when they are hit, and those disappear when they're hit. None of the parts of the Death Star are affected by any asteroids, but they can be shot by any of the saucers when they show up. When it's in its unbroken hexagonal shape, it just floats across the screen like an asteroid. After it gets hit at least once, though, all of the component pieces home in on the player's ship. Large asteroids are worth 20 points, medium asteroids are worth 50 points, and small asteroids are worth 100. The large saucer is worth 200 points, and the small saucer is worth 1,000. The complete Death Star is worth 50 points, the diamond-shaped fragments are worth 100 points, and the small triangular segments are worth 200 points. The most common setting awards a bonus ship every 10,000 points, although there are options for extra lives to be awarded every 12,000 or 15,000 points, and also a setting for no bonus lives. The score goes out to six digits, so it takes a full million points to roll it over. The high score table records the top 10 scores, of which the top three scores are stored to survive a reboot. This is an arrangement that Atari would use later in a number of games, and in my opinion, this is a really good idea. On the one hand, it preserves an actual benchmark for what a genuine high score is, but it also allows new people to put new scores up every day, and I kind of like it. So those are the main mechanical differences between Asteroids and Asteroids Deluxe, but there are some slightly more subtle differences as well. After the success of Asteroids, Atari got a great deal of feedback from operators. One of the largest complaints was about the ability some players had to spend hours playing on a single credit. Players would also lurk or ship hunt, which was a strategy in which the player would eliminate an entire round of Asteroids except for one or two small rocks and then wait for the saucers to appear. So for the sequel, Atari decided to make a much harder game, and with the first version of the ROM, they really, really succeeded really, really succeeded. The first version of the ROM is just insanely hard, to the point where operators were making the exact opposite complaint. Players were quickly getting tired of this game. It was just too difficult to be fun, so they just went right on down the row and found someplace else to put their quarters. The introduction of the Death Star or Killer Satellite complicated the lurking or ship hunting strategy, and the new saucer AI allowed the saucers to shoot through the screen wrap at the player, which was different from Asteroids, and that made the game even harder. In the earliest version of the ROM, the first screen involved six large asteroids, and the Death Star showed up quite early, and the pieces of it just flew at the player at a crazy speed. It was just nuts. 
Atari addressed this in the next version of the game code, which was much more balanced and is generally the version that most games in the wild are running. The later version does still have easy and hard modes that can be selected by the operator, so if you're a real glutton for punishment, you can crank the difficulty back up. I actually sometimes really like playing the first version of the code. It's a great way to get in a game if I only have a few minutes or if I have some people over and we want to have a quick tournament. It's a pretty fun way to add another angle. The game time just does not ever get long on that version of the ROM. In all versions of the ROM, though, there are a few characteristics built in to try and keep game times from getting out of hand. The one that I think really reigns things in is that there is a maximum of nine ships that the player can keep in reserve, plus the one they are currently playing for a total of 10 ships maximum. Once the player gets those lined up, they don't get any more extra lives until they are back below the maximum. I get that, but it still makes me just a little bit sad. One of the most impressive things I've seen on the original Asteroids is a line of extra ships that just goes off the edge of the screen. That can't happen on Asteroids Deluxe, and that does make me just a little bit sad. The increased difficulty and the limit on extra lives do seem to have had their desired effect. In 2009, John McAllister, who you will recall holds the world record on Asteroids, among other games, set a world record on Asteroids Deluxe with a score of 3,333,360 points. McAllister hit this score intentionally. If the number sounds familiar, it might be because that also happens to be a perfect score on Pac-Man. This time, though, it only took him about seven hours rather than the whole weekend, which is what it took him to get the Asteroids world record. My own memories of seeing Asteroids Deluxe as a kid are of a different general flavor than a lot of other games. I don't really remember seeing it in convenience stores or grocery stores as much as I remember seeing Asteroids. It seemed to appear more often in arcade settings where the games were the focus rather than a nice addition to a space that was generally intended for something else. I remember thinking that Asteroids Deluxe seemed to me like a much more polished version of Asteroids and I'm not really sure at the time that I thought that was a good thing. I believe that I'm in the minority and that I never really liked hyperspace as a tool to use in gameplay, and I thought, and I actually still think, that the shields were a more useful and interesting control. That said, Deluxe was a lot harder, and just as the artwork on the game seems to me now like a great illustration of the transition between the design sense of the 1970s and the 1980s, the rest of the game is kind of the same way. This is just my opinion, but between the expanded sounds, the blue overlay, and the background, it really feels to me more like an 80s game. I was able to find very little information on the backstory inside Atari on the development of Asteroids Deluxe. As I mentioned before, it was designed by Dave Shepard, who had previously designed Flyball and Night Driver for Atari, and would go on to work on Space Duel and Tempest. Space Duel was in the very early stages of development at the time, but it seems that it was still a ways from being ready for release, and Atari felt it was important to get an advanced version of Asteroids out the door sooner rather than later, so they decided to greenlight Asteroids Deluxe. Relative to other game concepts, Deluxe involved a pretty straightforward set of modifications to tried and true hardware and game code and gameplay. The PCB is based heavily on the original Asteroids PCB and is nearly but not quite pin compatible. There are only a couple of pins on the edge connector that are different, but the boards can't be swapped without some modification either to the PCB or to the wiring harness. 
Asteroids Deluxe was the last of the three games produced by Atari to use the first-generation digital vector generator designed by Howard Delman. Later games would use versions of the second generation of vector generators, which are generally known as analog vector generators, and we'll be talking about those in the future. Another big change from previous games was the addition of a Pokey chip. The Pokey was a custom-designed IC that is named for its functions as a potentiometer controller for things like game paddles, that's where the PO comes from, and also for its function as a keyboard controller, which is where the key comes from. So potentiometer, keyboard, Pokey. Interestingly, it's not named for the function that I think it is most widely known for, which is sound generation. The Pokey is responsible for generating that very familiar Atari sound palette that has become a signature feature of Atari arcade games. Asteroids Deluxe still has a number of discreetly generated sounds, but by using the Pokey, additional sounds can be added just by programming them into the game code. This would go on to give Atari developers a much freer hand with sound design in future games. And also, it really gave Howard Delman a break because he no longer had to design a bunch of sound circuits for every single game Atari would make going forward. Eventually, Atari would ship approximately 23,000 units across all three cabinets, of which over 18,000 were uprights. Given its ancestry, this was actually considered something of a disappointment. And I have a couple of thoughts on this. First, Asteroids was an incredibly tough act to follow, which I suspect might have caused expectations to be raised beyond what was really reasonable. And second, in the context of the rest of Atari's vector games, 23,000 units is nothing to sneeze at, and that's still a lot of games out the door. Surprisingly, there weren't many ports of Asteroids Deluxe to consoles or home computers while the game was current. In 1984, a version was released for the BBC Micro home computer, and then in 1987, another port was released for Atari's ST computer series. After that, if you couldn't find a cabinet, there was no way to play Asteroids Deluxe until the late 90s and early 2000s, at which point it began to be included in various arcade hits collections for Windows, and then later for consoles like the Sony PlayStation series up to the PS4, and Microsoft Xbox series all the way up to the Xbox One. Also the Sega Dreamcast, the Nintendo DS, and of course, like just about every other classic arcade games, it was ported to iOS and Android. In 2007, the Atari Age website released a port for the Atari 7800, which is still available for anyone who's interested in that console. Kind of interesting to me that it took a third party to bring an Atari game to an Atari console, and even then, it was more than 25 years after the game was initially released. As I've said before, and will say again, my favorite way to play any arcade vector game is in the original cabinet. And a few years ago, I was able to acquire an Asteroids Deluxe Cabaret. I have the Braze Multikit installed, which allows me to also play the original Asteroids as well as Lunar Lander. There's another version of the kit that's designed to go into an uh, original Asteroids game, and if I had it to do over again, I think I would go for that one instead. The simple reason is that the Pokey chip on the Asteroids Deluxe board can't really replicate the discrete sounds on the Asteroids board. It seems to work a lot better in the other direction. There are plenty of other high-score save kits, some of which allow for menu selecting between different ROM versions, and some that save scores online. 
Of course, Asteroids Deluxe has that non-volatile high score save for the top three scores. So there's a legitimate argument to be made that you really don't need a high score save kit at all. So, a creature for my amusement. If you decide you want to acquire an Asteroids Deluxe game, you shouldn't have to spend too much time looking. It is by no means a rare game with a production run of over 23,000 units. The unique cabinet design of the upright adds to the desirability, so it tends to go for a little bit more money than Asteroids does. But as the time of this recording, it's still a relatively inexpensive and easy to find game. Just like any other game, make sure it has good bones, which means a solid cabinet with no water damage. Also, while reproduction art is available, the background in particular is relatively expensive. So if you're looking at a game that has one that's damaged or missing, take that into account when you're negotiating your price. Once you've found your cab, your ownership experience is likely to be very similar to that of owning an Asteroids machine. Inside the cab is the single game PCB, which is also, again, still based on the 6502 microprocessor. It also has an AR1 power supply board and a power brick. It is worth noting that the version of the AR1 that's used in Asteroids Deluxe, which for the nerds among us is the AR1-03, is slightly different than the one used in Asteroids and Lunar Lander, which is the AR1-01 version. They can be swapped without harming anything, but some of the sounds will be garbled. It is possible to convert one version to another, and this is a relatively simple conversion for someone who does repair work on AR boards. Another potential point of trouble, particularly on the cabaret and cocktail cabinets, is the blue color overlay. It is a small point, but the gels that Atari used are very easily scratched and they can fog fairly easily. And even removing it to clean the front of the screen, which if you're buying an old arcade game, you probably are gonna wanna do, is going to introduce some risk of damaging the gel. Replacements are available and getting a new one is not a big deal. It's not expensive or difficult to find, but applying it to a monitor screen that is curved along two different axes can be a bit of a challenge. It really doesn't want to follow the shape of the screen, which curves both vertically and horizontally. And it also appears that once Atari got on there, they just slapped the gel over the screen and then used something that looks a lot like heavy-duty scotch tape to attach it. The problem is that any creases or bulges can have an optical effect on the image. And on my cabaret, I'm not completely happy with how the overlay is sitting. And what I've been thinking I will do is remove the overlay from the actual screen, remove it from the, the monitor tube, and attach it instead to the back of the bezel, which is just a tinted sheet of plexiglass. The effect should be the same, since there's nothing behind the bezel that needs to be displayed that isn't supposed to be blue the way the overlay is, and it'll be a lot easier to keep everything clean without putting any bends or creases in the overlay. Otherwise, the concerns are pretty much the same as owning an Asteroids or Lunar Lander game. You may see some heat damage on the edge connector on the game PCB. You may eventually need to rebuild the monitor boards. And of course, watch out for water damage to the particle board cabinet. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here going over all of that again. If you're interested in hearing about those issues, I would refer you to the previous two episodes of the VectorCast where we talk about Lunar Lander and Asteroids. So that's what I have for you today on Asteroids Deluxe. I sincerely hope you have enjoyed hearing this episode as much as I have enjoyed making it. If you have, please consider subscribing. You can look for us on Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on our website at VectorCastPodcast.com, Facebook at Facebook.com VectorCast, or follow us on Instagram at Instagram.com VectorCastPodcast. 
at this point, it feels to me like we have uh, reached the end of a chapter at the VectorCast. We've now covered the three games that were built on the original uh, vector generation hardware from Atari, the digital vector generator. And at this point, uh, I'd like to just put this out that if anybody has any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. I really want this podcast to be the best it can be, and it would be a great help to hear, number one, what I'm doing right, but also where I can improve. This is my first podcast, and I'm still finding my way. Any help you guys have is greatly appreciated. So thank you very much for listening. I hope to see you again in our next episode where we will be discussing Atari's next vector game, 1980's Battlezone. Zone.